Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 28th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Children in every corner of the country sat down on Friday night to watch the Late Late Toy Show hoping that this year will be the best Christmas ever. That was something of note um, Friday. Uh, another thing of note that happened on Friday was the publication of uh, the latest homeless figures. This Christmas, some 3,480 children will be living in emergency accommodation. Overall, the Department of Housing says 11,397 people in 1,601 families are homeless in Ireland. It's a record number, the worst figure ever recorded. House prices are at record highs. It has never been more expensive to rent. I have put forward in the the short space of time that I've had the facts of what's actually happening, that we want to put home ownership back at the centre, back at the centre of of the solutions. We will build more social homes this year than we've done in decades. And I would ask the deputies opposite to ask your colleagues across the country to stop objecting to public and affordable housing on land right across this country. That's the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, defending his record in office uh, to opposition politicians on Thursday. On Saturday, the public delivered its verdict as thousands of people took to the streets to protest in the Raise the Roof rally. Let's begin this morning with uh, speaking with Sinn Féin, one of uh, the political parties involved in uh, this coalition of opposition parties, political parties and civic groups. Johnny Girk is a TD for Mead West and he's on the line. Good morning to you, Johnny, and thank you indeed for joining us this morning. It was a huge turnout, as expected, I suppose, but it did send a very strong message to government. 
Yeah, Michael, um, there was there was a massive turnout on a bad day and it's all, Michael, to do with the situation, the the, the emergency and homeless. Like when, when you have numbers, Michael, of 11,400 people uh, in emergency accommodation, 3,500 children, Michael, the highest on record. And that, Michael, is an increase of 38% on last year. And, Michael, where these children will spend Christmas in, in emergency accommodation, uh, you, know, you know, and nobody knows the long-term effects of that on, on the kids, you know, and that's not right, Michael. And, and you know, Michael, what we have as well, Michael, we have young people starting to leave the country. Like my own neighbour uh, last week went to Melbourne and, and he's bringing his uh, his girlfriend out there in January. You know, so that's starting to happen mm. as well, Michael, where young people are starting to leave the country. And you have a Minister for Housing and you have the Taoiseach within 24 hours of each other saying that there's not an emergency in housing in this country. They're the only ones to think it. Mm, well... I think they agree with you, though, that it is a crisis. Uh, they don't argue with the figures and uh, they believe it is uh, the single most important social issue facing uh, this country. I think that's the turn of phrase that the Taoiseach has been using. Uh, and the government uh, is doing all it can, it says, to tackle this problem. Michael, um, last Tuesday, Michael, um, me County Council housing officials came into the Dáil to give a presentation on the delivery of social houses from, you were talking from um, 18, the years 18 to 21 and 22 to 26. They're going to deliver less houses, Michael, per year from 22 to 26 than they did from 18 to 21. How, in the name of God, Michael, is that going to get on top of the situation that's in the country? Wouldn't you need to be at least doubling the figures from 18 to 21 to have any chance of getting on top of this, Michael? That's why That's why there is an emergency on housing because this this has not been tackled. And if you don't tackle it at local authority where you're social and affordable housing. Where are you going? Uh, well, the Minister uh, had a, a suggestion for Mead County Council and all of uh, the county councils around the country. He told them to build social houses. He said if they do that, the government will write off their debts. There was, there was a census done, Michael, in uh, the, the last census that was done. There was 166,000 vacant or derelict homes in the country, Michael. There's 48,000 of those, Michael, that is vacant for six years or more. Mm. There's 16 local authorities, Michael, that haven't put one of those houses back into circulation. Now, in fairness to uh, a county like Waterford, they have put 60 of them back into circulation. But each... each local authority put those back into circulation like you'd have thousands and thousands of houses available mm. for people and that's not happening Okay, uh, but that's not Barrow O'Brien's fault is it? Well, like I mean, he, he has to. Um, local authorities can do nothing without money. And, and, mm. and like, uh, another issue, Michael. Well, with local here, let's go back to what Darrell O'Brien said o- over the weekend. He said he hopes to build between three thousand and five thousand houses. There'll be modular houses over the course of uh, the next year. And he said that this would work on a quid pro quo basis. That if the councils build these houses on council land, he'll pay down the debt on those sites. Michael, another issue, Michael, with local authorities, like, and we heard it there last Tuesday as well, in a lot of cases, Michael, the local authorities have to come up with the money for the land themselves first, Michael. And that's a, that's a massive strain on local authority finances and it affects everything down the line. The other thing, Michael, in 2014, Michael, there was a thousand kids in emergency accommodation and the people of Ireland were up in arms. They thought this, this was unacceptable. It was shortly after that, Michael, we had the marriage of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. And every year since then, Michael, that the housing situation has got worse and worse and worse to a situation now where we have 3,500 kids going to spend Christmas in emergency accommodation. So 
and they're not tackling it, Michael, because they're mm. not tackling it if your local authority is going to build less houses from the years 2022 to 2026 than they did from the years 18 to 21. Mm. And if that's happening, Michael, across the country... There's nobody there's nobody who'll disagree with that, and that's the point uh, I'm making to you. The government is saying exactly the same thing, and they want more houses built, in particular more social houses built. Uh, the government, uh, through the minister, said over the weekend they'll pay down the debt owed on council lands if they build houses on them, if they develop them, for example exactly the same purposes that you're talking about, giving some, uh, where to call uh, 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 your home, a roof over your head that you can call home for children, for three and a half thousand children. It's disgraceful. And there's nobody who would disagree with that either. Uh, there should be nobody, in a, no child in emergency accommodation. And coming into Christmas, it, it strikes you all the more so. It does, Michael. But, but Michael, um, and giving you the figures there now, Michael, what uh, Mead County Council is going to do for the next... And, and that's their figures, Michael. And that's, that's um, projected figures like that they're going to build in the next um, five, four or five years. And so, like, I mean, I don't know, Michael, what Dara Brown is talking about, but these are Mead County Council's figures for the next five, four to five years. Uh, and they're less, Michael, than they were from the years 18 to 21. Mm. Maybe we can uh, hear uh, some of uh, the response to your party leader, Mary Lou Macdonald, from uh, the Taoiseach in the Dáil last week. There was a very good article written by an award-winning journalist, um, Sam McBride, recently in terms of Sinn Féin's housing performance um, in the North. Uh, and it's entitled, Housing Crisis Will Not Be Solved by Sinn Féin's Cynical Populism. The last paragraph reads, But Sinn Féin's storm at record suggests that party populism is more fervently held than its grasp on the detail of what would actually improve the housing situation. And it is prepared to be deeply cynical in this area. You are prepared to be deeply cynical in this area. And the reason, the difference between the Sinn Féin Party, which just simply wants to exploit the issue, and the government side is, we have a range of initiatives and actions taken. You take Help to Buy, for example. Help to Buy has had 35,000 people to own their own home. Time is up. Sinn Féin would have abolished that scheme. The first home scheme, and I reference how a person felt it was the best service they ever got, you opposed that scheme and you've proposed its abolition. You also opposed, in terms of the the grants for restoring um, housing uh, in rural areas in particular. I don't understand why, but up to seven to 800 people have availed of that now and are Thank availing of it. Thank you very much. All of those people would lose out if you had your way. Thank you, Deputy Ivana. Please, deputies. And the Taoiseach has been making the point continuously, Johnny Gurk, that Sinn Féin uh, is a serial objector when planning permission goes in for social housing. Michael, that's not true, Michael. It, it, you can be pretty sure, Michael, that Sinn Féin is objecting to anything. It's uh, because there's no social and affordable housing or 10% of, of uh, big developments is for social and affordable housing which, when there should be, the majority of should have been for social and affordable housing. That's why, Michael, why is it, Michael, that three, the last three months in a row that the government has underspent their budget on housing by 500 million? Like in, an, in a, what should have been an emergency situation? Why, why is that? Like, um, So th- these are things that they should be doing, Michael. They should be getting these... 166,000 vacant and derelict holes back mm. into the market as quick as possible. And it's that 500 million that is going to be used to, to pay down council debt on land if they develop that land for housing. Uh, the Taoiseach pointed to Sinn Féin's record in the north. If Sinn Féin has all of the answers, why aren't you using those solutions in Northern Ireland to provide housing where there's a, a huge crisis? And he says that you're just exploiting this issue. 
Michael, you know, Michael, as well as I know, Michael, that the finance in, in, in Northern Ireland comes from the British government. It has nothing to do with Sinn Féin. So that's rubbish talk, Michael. And, and I divert to that every time they want. They deal with the situation that's here, Michael, that they have control of, that we, we, we would have control of, hopefully, in a couple of years, and make a difference where it counts and where they're elected here in the South. <clears throat> And if, they want, if they're that worried about the North, Mike, why don't they put up candidates in it? OK. Uh, is Sinn Féin going to be in government? Are you going to get the opportunity to do this? Are you concerned following the weekend's poll and a 4% drop in popularity? You were riding high. Michael, um, opinion polls, Michael, you're probably two years out from a general election. They'll change, Michael, between here and there. Snapshot course, in time. Michael. Yeah, sorry? <laughs> Snapshot in time, I think, is the stock answer. Yeah, I mean, like, they're going to change. They'll change in time, Michael. And I don't know about anybody else, Michael, but I do keep an eye on the opinion polls. And, like, you would sooner see them going up than going down, you know. But uh, And hopefully, Michael, that the people of Ireland will give us a chance in, in, in whenever the general election is, you know, because I know uh, most people that I know within Sinn Féin, Michael, want to make a difference in housing. They want to make a difference mm. in health. And we, we want a chance to do that. So what will Saturday's rally achieve? Uh, if the government remains in power and you obviously have no faith in them and you don't believe that Sinn Féin will have the opportunity of going into government for a couple of years, uh, was it anything more than a day out? Well, what you need, Michael, you need to put the pressure on, Michael, where the government will declare an emergency in housing, where they will treat it like a COVID-like situation, you know. So if that was done, Michael, and then you could get on top of the, the situation in housing, like where you could divert uh, as many workers as you could to building houses and, um, you know, get these sites back into uh, circulation and, and make, make a difference that way and, and get the local authorities to double the amount of houses that they're talking about doing for the next four or five years. Then, Michael, you, we will see a difference in housing. And, and until that's done, Michael, I don't think you will because you know if, if, if local authorities are going to build Michael, less houses in the next four years than they did in the last four well we're, we're in trouble Okay yeah. we'll leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning that's uh, Sinn Féin TD for Mead West Johnny Girk some comments coming to us uh, this morning already because of what has been a locally contentious issue and that's the housing of refugees in Carlingford I think most of the objections uh, to the refugees seeking refuge, seeking sanctuary in Carlingford uh, has come from people outside of Carlingford. Uh, There is some genuine concern in the village and uh, we are hoping that we will hear from people in Carlingford today. Uh, Brian is in in Omeath next door and he says he attended the rally uh, in uh, Carlingford yesterday and he was disgusted by the verbal attacks on locally elected councillors and local Sinn Féin TD, also verbal attacks on the Garda unit. He said, I just stayed for 10 minutes and headed to the local hospitality venue. Thanks, uh, Brian, for that. Um, We'd a text, I think about that from Claire, who says the solution for these unbearable people. Uh, I take it it's the people who were waving the tricolour, Claire. Um, It really painted uh, the flag in an awful picture uh, because it looked like a symbol of hate. I don't know, uh, maybe it was just me, but it reminded me of a, a swastika in 1930s Germany. Uh, because it was being used to say uh, we are superior people and we don't want these people here. Um, but uh, Claire says the solution to these unbearable people is supply the Garda force with uh, German shepherds. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for that, uh, Claire and me. Then she says it's one thing that the government is doing right 
Uh, thank you indeed, uh, as uh, I say, uh, for your message to the programme. If you'd like to make comment on the programme today, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 041-983-2000. That's 041-983-2000. You can text or WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658. If you want to text a message to us, and you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, you know why you should be driving an electric car. It's in your interest. Uh, we've been hearing this forever at this stage. It seems uh, that you buy an electric car. Yes, it's a new car. Yes, it's very expensive. But you're going to save so much money on the fuel that it will benefit you financially as well as all the benefits that it brings to the environment. That may not be quite the case because prices are to increase by 67% in December. That's on top of a 47% increase in May. Let's speak to Paddy Common, who's Head of Communications with AA Ireland. Good morning, Paddy, and thank you indeed for joining us. How will the cost of charging an electric car compare to running a car off diesel, for example? Well, Michael, good morning. And uh, we're getting to a stage, uh, and there is a big asterisk and caveat to that, in terms of public charging, that we're not far off uh, the price of running a petrol or diesel car. Now, obviously, if you are charging on the public network, that's the highest charge you're going to pay. And those prices have increased or will increase quite dramatically from December 20th, in some cases, you know, up to 50% or more, dependent if you're not on a monthly subscription. But, we, you know, for those people who are dependent on those charging networks, you know, be it people who live in terraced houses or apartments and who just can't fit their own home charger for whatever reason, those charges are, have become, you know, have dramatically increased. And we are, we're not quite there yet, but we're at a point where it nearly costs the same uh, to run the, those cars versus a petrol or diesel. Okay, um, that takes away that incentive then. It, it takes. I mean, it takes away the the incentive of of saving money, and that you know, for most people, and we've done our surveys in AA, and that still is the primary reason why people would trans- transfer over. Obviously, there's the environmental benefits, there's the you know, zero emissions, and coming out from the tailpipe. Now, these cars mm. are they use some emissions in their manufacturing, but uh, for you know, for the environmental reasons, they, obviously, the early adopters of the electric vehicles did those for environmental reasons. People have now started to come on stream. But, but look, let's remember, if you are charging at home, which 80% of EV drivers really should be doing primarily, you're still saving significant amounts of money. You're still saving, you're still about 40% of the cost of running on, on petrol or diesel. Mm. So that, co- that cost remains. It's just that these charges for using the public network, if you're driving down to Cork or moving to Galway or you didn't have your own home charger, yeah. those charges have become quite significantly more. And there's three ways of charging on the public system, isn't there? The standard, the fast and a rapid charge. Yeah, and look, we we in AA have been examining over the last few days the the state of the rapid charging network, and it's not anywhere where it should be. We did a test uh, just on Friday last uh, using a a, a Kia vehicle that can take an awful lot of charge, and we drove to various sites that were showing the fast that that advertised themselves as fast charging, and um, very few of them were doing anything like they should be doing. So Mm. in a lot of cases that you're paying for a premium product, but you're just not getting those speeds. So that's very disappointing. Talk to me about the speed, because the standard uh, is eight to 10 hours, isn't it, to fully charge a car? Depends on where you're charging it. So yeah. if the cheapest way, if you bought an electric car, you know it. It depends on how the, the car itself 
they'll vary on how fast they can charge that. But yeah, overnight at home on a on a standard wall box, it would be it would be you know six to eight hours, uh, and that will have your car charged fully to hundred percent. If okay. you go to some of the public charging networks, if you have the slower ones which are on street that can take you know three to four hours but if you go to some of the faster uh, chargers which are anything you know fast chargers is 50 kilowatts but the the high powered ones are are over that up to 150 kilowatts and in some cases you could charge your car fully in in 30 to 40 minutes Uh, but you're paying you're paying for that okay Um, you you know you're paying for the speed you're paying probably as much as diesel which i can do in maybe five minutes yeah, well, yeah, even yeah. less. But you're, you're, that's the that's the point. That those charges have have come up, and, and you know, if the point is, if you're driving an electric vehicle, and say, you know, I do draw it to mm. core quite a bit, and um, I might stop at Cashel, and the the charging point there would be charging me uh, not far off. Uh, it's 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 suppose it's it's equating as in a full charge might cost you eighteen or twenty euro, but it mm. might but it will go half the distance that a full tank of diesel would go. Yeah. So then so then you you know you're you're getting up up there in terms of cost. But I think the message is for anyone I wouldn't put people off EVs yeah. because if you're charging at home you're still saving a lot. Of I know, but there is something to think about here is there not because if uh, the price of electricity is increasing at the rate it's increasing and uh, that means the cost of charging a car is increasing in line with that and now in some circumstances is as expensive uh, as diesel. Uh, it's possible is it not that it could become more expensive than running a diesel car. Well, if you if we ever got to the point of electricity domestically costing you more than seventy three or seventy four cents per kilowatt hour, you would be at the equivalent of petrol or diesel now, mm. because you know a petrol or diesel car would go probably about twice the length as as the electric car. Where you know the ESB rate now is about forty two forty three cents. At the at the highest point, yeah. if you're charging at night rate with your electric vehicle, you'll save a lot less. Some people have free electricity for a certain number of hours on a Saturday or Sunday. So I think I would encourage people if they do have an electric vehicle to just have a look at when they are charging it and to make sure that they're they're getting the best possible rate. Because okay. we did another survey we did, we we showed that you could be paying three and a half times more than your next door neighbour. For the, on the same street, on the same car, depending on what time you charge your car. And just tell me about this journey that you make from Drogheda to Cork. I take it you leave the house fully charged, but you have to stop in Cashel for 40 minutes, is it? Yeah, uh, the, the car I would have would would, uh, would be capable of about 300 kilometres, but I tend to do a round trip. So I might stop in Cashel and use the Ionity network, which are the high-powered charges. Now, they are expensive, mm. but they're efficient and they work very well. But would that get you to Cork and back to Drogheda, or would you have to stop again on the way back? I would stop. But yeah, I think the thing for people to remember is that you don't always have to fill up. So I will drive down as far as Cashel, top up, get to Cork, come back via Cashel again, top up, and then get home. So I'm never I'm never sitting there for forty minutes. I might be sitting there for fifteen each way, mm. having a coffee, using the bathroom, and and then on my way again. And if you were going to Ackle, uh, you were talking about on street charging. Uh, there would be nowhere on the actual route. You'd have to go off route, wouldn't you, to find somewhere to charge? Well, it depends. When you when you own an electric vehicle, you get a little bit go, you know better at planning. <laughs> want, and you have to be good by the sound. You have to be better at yeah. planning. But but yeah. uh, unfortunately, mm. the fringes of the country. Uh, and when you get to areas like Donegal and, and parts of Kerry and, and, and Clare, the charging network 
breaks down a little bit in terms of availability. The, the arterial routes are reasonably good, okay. but when you get to the extremities, it can be tricky. Okay. I want to talk to you again about uh, the tolls on the motorways, if I, I can. Uh, if you bear with me for one minute, Paddy Cummins of AA Ireland. Uh, we're going to uh, listen to a contribution made in the Dáil last week by Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty. The M3 toll operator recorded a profit of 11 million in 2021. The M1 toll operator op- had an operating profit of 8 million in the same year. Uh, now, due to these gold-plated Fianna Fáil era contracts, motorists now were being asked to fork out even more and higher toll charges. It is not lost on people that their wages don't go up in line with inflation, but the government has ensured through these contracts that the profit of toll operators do. These firms aren't struggling to get by, and these increases are all about protecting private profit. So the government needs to intervene. Here, they need to bring all the pressure that they can to bear on the operators and Transport Infrastructure Ireland in particular. These increases, Minister, these increases, Tanisha, should not go ahead, and it is the government's job to make sure that they don't. And the government may stop those charges from going ahead. It, it appears that may be the case, uh, at least at this stage, Paddy Cummins, but not by bringing pressure to bear, but by compensating the toll operators. As we heard, the M3 making 11 million, the M1 making 8 million. Uh, the government, Leo Radker, in his response to Pierce Doherty last week, said uh, they'll need to come up with 25 million euro to compensate them for not increasing the tolls. Yeah, look, you know, Michael, you and I have spoken about this before. The in some cases, and if you drive across the country, there are really obvious benefits to the public-private partnerships in terms of the, the, the roads that we have now. We wouldn't have had them. And, and, you know, we're old enough to remember road networks 25, 30 years ago, and it was in an awful state. There, there are benefits in getting into these arrangements, but there's also drawbacks. And, and we are now seeing the drawbacks in that the uh, the, the private operators do have the uh, potential and the capability and contractually the right to decide that they want to increase their rates, and um, and, and as it as it looks like at the moment, we are pretty powerless to change that. And, and you know, we might have to go down the road of compensating these companies um, accordingly. But it's it's certainly it's certainly there's there's benefits in getting them, but we're also seeing the negatives of it as well. And I think Michael as well, the, the one that really gets on people's nerves is the M50, which we have repeatedly tweaked and massaged and cajoled into trying to be an effective road and it has failed miserably over the years and we're still not there yet and still paying for it. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. It's going to be the subject of a Sinn Féin motion this week as well, which will bring further pressure to bear. But thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Paddy Cummins, Head of Communications with AA Ireland. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. LMFM. Now, the so-called triple lock is considered to be a significant element in terms of protecting Ireland's neutrality. It relates predominantly to peacekeeping missions, uh, but uh, it it would require uh, for Irish troops to go abroad that there would be either a UN Security Council resolution or a UN General Assembly resolution. That's part one of the three parts of this triple lock. Uh, The second part would be a formal decision by the government uh, and the third part would require approval by the doll. Finnegale is proposing dropping the triple lock. Let's uh, speak to Jim Roach, who is a PRO of the Irish anti-war movement. And uh, a very good morning to you, Jim Roach, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. This is not a new argument that Finnegale is making. 
Good morning, Michael. Thanks for talking to me again. Michael, can I say, first of all, uh, that the Irish anti-war movement utterly condemned the, the, the recent escalation of the war by the Russian Federation against the people of Ukraine. It's absolutely horrific what's happening. I just want to make that very, very clear. Uh, uh, absolutely, yeah. Just uh, By the way, I'm also a founding member of the Irish Neutrality League. Uh, and uh, your listeners can uh, read our founding statement on neutrality.ie. I'm speaking, however, here on behalf of the Irish anti-war movement. Uh, it's not a new thing. I, I mean, what the, the government, well, the government, but particularly Fine Gael, are doing is they're chipping away slowly at neutrality. They know that uh, a full-scale assault on neutrality would not work, given the, 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 the results of the polls that were carried out back in... Uh, you know, March, April, May, etc., yeah. where seventy yeah, percent of the Irish clearly, clearly saying that up up to seventy percent clearly saying that they favoured keeping Irish neutrality. So, uh, and th- this the triple lock. It's not yeah. ideal. It's a bit of an Irish solution to an Irish problem, but it was brought in uh, after the. The, the defeat of the first uh, Nice Treaty, and then the government was forced to uh, put this in, uh, you know, insist on this, and it came in under the, the so-called Lisbon de- Declaration. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it has those three things, as you state. And look, I, I'm not a big fan of the UN um, Security Council. Mm. Well, you I, mentioned I, Russia, which is uh, yeah. important in the argument against the triple lock. Uh, because the escalation of the war, as you described it, by Russia is really just an assault on civilians. Uh, And because of the triple lock, Russia and China and others can dictate which peacekeeping missions Ireland participates in or not. Yeah, that's that's the way it's been presented, Michael. But um, But it's true because they're members of the UN Security Council. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, and it, it's 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 not ideal. As I, I was beginning to say, there, I'm no fan of the UN Security Council. I think it should be disbanded, and we, we should have open democracy from the UN uh, Council Chamber um, itself. But it, the triple lock does also include uh, uh, a. Um, there has to be a resolution from the the UN Council as well. That's that's my reading of it anyway. Uh, and then there there has to be the the government have have to support it and the doll have to support it. So it, it's it's just uh, an example though of the government chipping away at Irish neutrality. They've um, made several statements over the last few months, both Michal Martin and Simon Coveney in particular. Uh, including things like, you know, Ireland wouldn't need a referendum to to join NATO, which was a shocking statement. Mm. So this is yet again the same thing. And I don't think we should be distracted by the fact that the UN Security Council is problematic. You may be be shocked by the statement. Sorry, Jim, you may be shocked uh, by the statement, but it's a a matter of fact that Ireland wouldn't need a referendum to join a a NATO alliance. It, It would need a referendum to join a European army. Okay, I would like I would like to see the Irish government trying that. I really would. And given given the polls that I mentioned and mm. the the feelings of the Irish people and the widespread support for the positive as you know the, the understanding of Irish neutrality and how it could contribute positively to the pacific settlement of uh, what are essentially. Uh, 
political problems which then lead to war. Uh, so th- there's, a, there's a general understanding there of, by the Irish people, I believe, of uh, the, the need for us to maintain neutrality. So while, I, again, I've told you before, I'm not a legal eagle, mm. uh, but mm. I would like to see the Irish government try joining NATO without a referendum. You saw these I, missiles land in Poland, a NATO country, a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Uh, and if uh, this conflict had extended out, uh, and became a wider conflict officially uh, between NATO forces uh, and Russia. Uh, should Ireland stand idly by? Well, we shouldn't be standing idly by at all. We should be a voice for peace in the world. And we have long argued that the Irish government should have been using uh, its position on the UN Security Council to call for the diplomacy, a ceasefire and peace talks. And it hasn't done that. What it has done, it has... Um, ridden along with the NATO gang. It, it has had several meetings with NATO leaders and then it's, it's chipping away at Irish neutrality. So uh, being neutral do, does not mean standing idly by. There are lots of countries in the world um, not supporting uh, the war in Ukraine and um, not, not supporting sanctions, etc. and, you know, calling for diplomacy to end this, this horrific conflagration. Ireland should be one of them. It isn't doing that. And that's a problem. It's a real, real problem. Just to say, uh, on mm. the, uh, like, that was so tense there two weeks ago when that happened. And yeah. initially, uh, yeah. initially, of course, the, the calls were that this was Russia bombing Ukraine. It turned out it, 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 it wasn't. But um, it, I, I thought it was quite interesting the way uh, the NATO countries responded, actually, uh, uh, and Jens Stolenberg, that's his name, the, the leader of the UN. I thought his statement uh, afterwards was quite interesting. It was the first time ever he has said, ultimately, this this war will end around uh, at, at, at peace talks around mm. the table. So yeah. my question to him would be, why not now? Why not stop it mm. now? Yeah. You know, why is well, every every war ends. The Russian Federation. Every war ends at peace talks. Uh, I suppose the concern is that this one doesn't end, or we're not alive to see it end. Uh, and therein lies the nuclear concern. Uh, we leave it there for the moment, Jim. Thanks as always for joining us, Jim Roach, PRO of the Irish Anti-War Movement. Michael Reed on LMFM. As you know, there's some concern about refugees being housed in uh, the Carlingford Adventure Centre. Tom McCardle of uh, the Carlingford Adventure Centre is on uh, the line. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. A sizable protest outside of your centre yesterday. uh, And uh, I'm sure there was plenty of local people there. There was also some people from outside of uh, the village, it would seem. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for having us on. Um, Yes, it was mostly from outside the village. A lot of people came down from Dublin uh, to protest uh, the refugees in Carlingford. Okay. What is it they're concerned about? There's lots of different concerns. Uh, to be honest, they're, they're not directed towards the actual people that we have here. It's more of a national issue towards housing. Um, to be honest with you, the concerns that they have aren't actually the concerns of the local people. So it was mostly outside of Carningford that actually came down to protest. Now, there is obviously a local concern in the area, and that is something that we would like to address today, just to mm. put the people at ease. Sure. OK, well, maybe you'd like to speak to people locally, uh, because, as you say, there is some genuine concern that people have. Uh, talk to us a- about that, and is there need to be concerned? No, no, absolutely not. No, there, there's nothing There's nothing going to affect the tourism trades, the 
the, the, the fears that were initially put out that we, um, well, just to go back to the start, we actually answered the um, the, the request for emergency accommodation in the summer months. So we started preparing the centre back in the summer for welcoming families into the centre. Um, we actually uh, brought our first families in on the, the, 20, on the 7th of October. It was actually 28 women and children and to be honest, there's soccer coaches, they're, they're all very intelligent people, they're nothing but a pleasure to work with. Mm. Um, we also then brought in a, a, another three families then later on. Those three families um, had been living in the village for at least four months. and um, So they're integrated in the village. They're, they're going to the local schools. They're, they're lovely people. Um, okay. the, the problem came was when we, we got, with no warning from the Department of Equality, um, 40 additional men and unfortunately at that point a video went out which went viral and that that spread just uh, complete misinformation and that mm-hmm. that is what we would like to address today. I, I saw that video and uh, we played a small clip of it I think they were claiming that there were 200 men in your centre Yeah that, that's completely uh, false we, we never had 200 men we had 200 beds in the facility and yeah. that's where they got that number from Okay, 41 men, uh, I think, uh, is the actual figure. 41, sorry, yeah. yeah. You, yeah. Um, maybe uh, you tell us about the men who are there. Are, are they refugees? They are indeed, yeah. Okay, and do you, know, do, you know, do you know where they've come from or why they're in this country or why they're seeking refuge in this country? We, we aren't actually privy to all that information, but from communicating with them and talking with them, there, there's lots of different stories there. Um they, they, some of them have come from Crimea, the area that was annexed in 2014. So they all have different backgrounds. They all have completely different stories. And, and that is something that we have no control over. Mm. Um, but they are very upset about this uh, racist video that went out. Um, it's just spread complete fear um, amongst the community. And it's spread fear amongst these, these 41 men. Yeah. I can't uh, imagine the idea of somebody arriving at the door with such hatred uh, and wondering what would happen next. Um, it may have seemed innocent enough to people watching it, uh, but if you stop for a second, Tom, uh, and think of yourself uh, probably being bussed. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I'm making assumptions here that the men that we're talking about were probably bussed from uh, Athlone, where they'd been living in tents, uh, which were totally inappropriate for accommodating people. Uh, to come to Carlingford, uh, which is God knows where as far as they're concerned, uh, hoping that this uh, would turn out to be a place of sanctuary uh, and then to be confronted like that and wondering, uh, will they be able to sleep safely in their beds tonight? Yeah, that, that's unfortunately reality. It went from uh, moving from horrible locations somewhere where they were, they were going to get a warm shower three meals a day to fear that, that that's what spread amongst the group. They didn't know how they were going to be welcomed. To be honest with you, there was fear there before they came. There was emotions when they came. There were tears when they came. Mm. Um, all they wanted in the world was somewhere safe. Um, and all they want now still is somewhere safe. They they want um, they want to contribute. There's builders, there's tilers, there's bus drivers, mm. all very, very normal people. They just want to get on with us, just want to get on with life. 
Um, there's a theory going around, uh, as you know, Tom, about why the 41 men who arrived at Carlingford. Uh, forgive me for laughing, but this is nonsensical. But I think it's probably worth uh, addressing, uh, as ridiculous as it is. Um, I'm going to play a short clip uh, taken from the internet uh, by somebody who's not from Carlingford, most definitely not from Carlingford, uh, but has decided to put her big feet into the middle of all of this uh, and is spouting utter nonsense. Uh, let's hear what this woman thinks uh, these men are doing in your centre. We have been told that they're not refugees, okay? We have actually been told that they're part of the UN army that's come in here to take the members of the Irish public in check for what's coming ahead next. Right. Uh, for anybody listening, I have to uh, point out as strongly as possible, there is no UN army. A UN army does not exist. So, uh, obviously, these men are not. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Members of an army that doesn't exist. Uh, Tom, you've heard that uh, suggestion ridiculous as, as it is. Uh, are people buying into that? No, no. And it has gone crazy that there's absolute wild stories going around about these poor men and, and, and the reality is, is that none of them are true um, the, the only truth on the ground is that these men are afraid of all these stories that are going around they, they don't know how to react they, they don't know how they're going to be welcomed by the people now I do I do feel the likes of those stories are actually blocking out the actual concerns of the local community and the, the local community have act- hmm I think we might have lost the line to Tom there. Um, we'll try to get it back on. Uh, as you know, uh, Carlingford uh, is not uh, the best place in the world for mobile phone coverage. Uh, so I think the line may have dropped out and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get Tom back on the line. There's a lot of comments coming to us uh, from a lot of people who say they're local. 
uh, I, I wonder if that is uh, the case because uh, most people seem to be saying they're objecting uh, to the refugees coming to Carlingford. Uh, if you are local and you're saying that, I must say I'm very surprised. Uh, Philip is in Cooley, for example. He says, I believe we need some clarification on the Carlingford topic. He, he went to a concerned, uh, he is, uh, he went to the protest of as a concerned resident, and he says, it's a safety issue. It's not racism. Uh, we're a community and we need answers. We cannot get these answers from our local councillors, and this is what we pay them to do. Can you please get answers to the questions below? If these refugees are fleeing war in Ukraine and all of the terrible conflicts we've seen, how are males, oh God, of military conscription age getting out of the country and getting preference over women and children? I'm really disappointed to hear that turn of phrase because that's a turn of phrase that's being used by well-established right-wing groups which are really trying to turn communities against people coming here seeking sanctuary. Uh, this thing of military conscription age. Uh, there's plenty of people who have come to this country from many parts of the world, not just Ukraine, uh, because their lives have been endangered and when you have a, a priority situation, which is these tents, uh, which you wouldn't put a cat in, in that loan, uh, and they're looking for uh, alternative accommodation, that's why you end up with groups of men coming uh, 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 all at once. Uh, as Tom was telling us, uh, there's uh, half as many women and children, uh, and there will be more women and children. Uh, he wants to know, uh, why aren't these people guarded vetted? Again, this is a line that right-wing racist fascist groups are spinning. And the reason for that is that if I move in beside you, Philip, I'm not going to be guarded vetted and you won't know anything about me and vice versa. And that's the way the world works. He says it's not racism as it's being spun. It's a safety issue for our local community. Thanks, Philip. Um, uh, I, I think um, there are interesting comments. Uh, we have Tom back on the line. I don't know if you want to uh, respond to those comments yourself, Tom. To be honest with you, they're, they're, they're not something... I didn't hear all the comments, yeah. but the, uh, a lot of the comments about these men are just false. Um, these, these men are, are lovely. I've, I've met them all. They're, they're, they always come across as lovely people. They, they have all come from different backgrounds. Um, a lot of them would have been forced to fight Ukraine if they had stayed in their own location. A lot of people are saying, why are they not here? A lot of them had to flee because they would have been conscripted by the Russian army. Um, but again, that's not our responsibility to justify why these men are here. Um, we're trying to give them somewhere safe to, to ride. Provided our accommodation for the uh, down period. We are sitting on 200 beds that would have been completely empty. Uh, we had a call during the summer to provide accommodation we offered the accommodation for the winter and that was that was all we did at the time. Yeah. Now, but we, we were starting to talk about the local concerns and, and yep. they, they they are real concerns. But I think the department, it's quite a long name, the Department of Children, uh, Education, Disability uh, and Ukraine, they didn't provide any information prior to arrival. They didn't provide any information to us, to the guardee, to the local politicians. And I think that was a mistake. And, and, and to be honest, I do think placing a large group in a small village is a mistake. But right. It was an error. Um, and I think it has caused um, uncertainty. And unfortunately... Because maybe, the sequen video, maybe the sequencing of it was unfortunate or was a, an error because that's 40 out of 200 beds and you expect to fill up the 160 beds that are, are empty uh, and to that... Uh, you'll be able to accommodate women and children uh, apart from anything else. 
Exactly, yes. We, we had been accommodating women and children, and, and to be honest with you, it was going fine, and it was in small... We, we are a very small village. We, we've only three streets. Um, so I do believe the department putting 40 men into, into a small village is a lot. And because of the video, it has caused fear um, mm. from the local community. And this is something we never anticipated that we would be getting into a conversation about. Mm. We were helping women and children. We felt it, 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 it was during our winter season that the bed was there. Why would we possibly hold them back? Um, and are local people afraid of the men living in Carlingford? With that video, yes. Um, and so that that's something that we're we're on. It goes two ways. The, the men are afraid of the local people, mm. um, and local people were afraid of two hundred men, mm. um, which would be horrifying to hear that your town is being taken over. Carlingford is predominantly a tourism-based village. Um, if we were to give up our accommodation permanently, uh, that would ruin the village. We're, we're the village and. Um, Tourism is at the heart of Carlingford. And of course, yeah. mm. That would have destroyed the village. And mm. we can understand, we have been trying to explain to people ever since that video went out, there isn't 200 men. There is quite simply um, uh, 40 men over the, 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 the few months of the winter. We, mm. we call it our Christmas period. Yeah. And unfortunately, we have offered, uh, we have taken person for March. We aren't in a position to offer accommodation past the point. Well, Carlingford is uh, the jewel in uh, the tourism crown of uh, the northeast, and uh, there's no disputing that. Uh, what What is the plan from March? Uh, does your offer of accommodation to refugees end then? Unfortunately, yes. The, 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 the accommodation, we, we were hoping the war would end. You know? we, we answered the call in the summer months. Um, mm. We obviously signed over our accommodation in um I can't remember the exact time, but it was during the summer. Uh, and the idea was that we would be helping the families for the winter months. And hopefully they would have either alternative accommodation or they would go home. But there, 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 it'll have no impact on tourism. Is that correct? Because when the tourism season starts again in March, uh, the people who you're housing now will have to move on. Hello, Tom. Uh, I think we may have lost the line again there. Okay, Uh, we'll try to come back uh, to that. Um, Somebody uh, texting us saying, Michael, can you find out uh, if these people in Carlingport have passports? Uh, That's Eamon, no party. Uh, Thank you for that. Um, Somebody else saying, why do you have this topic on your show when the only opinion that matters is your own? You'll not entertain anyone's opinion, only yours. We have thousands of Irish people needing accommodation, including myself. The caller says... Uh, it's uh, disgraceful what they're listening to. Uh, well, thank you in- indeed uh, for that. Um, I suppose the thing that I'm worried about is that most people in the country are, are saying that they want uh, to uh, give sanctuary to people fleeing from war. Uh, and it seems as though uh, there's a lot of concern in Carlingford, uh, but there's also a lot of people from outside of the area who appear to be exploiting the situation. Uh, we have Tom back uh, on the line. I was asking you about the tourism season that will spark up again in March as it does every year. I take it that there's, from what you've said, there's uh, no impact expected on tourism in Carlingford uh, because uh, the people you're housing at the moment will have moved on by then. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There'll be no impact on tourism. You know, tourism in Carningford starts traditionally in March anyway. Um, now, we as a company have been trading the whole way through. We we, uh, we operate with day trips, so we're, we're operating with day trips as usual. And then in March, we're offering our accommodation back for overnight stays. Mm. So that that's traditionally how our season works anyway. There, there's absolutely no difference from our perspective mm. giving over accommodation for the winter months. Earlier in the programme, uh, I was talking about the protest and some of the scenes I saw and uh, how repulsed I was uh, at uh, the tricolour being flown uh, and it conjured up a, a, an image of hate. It looked as a, as if it was a symbol of hate uh, and it reminded me of Germany in the 1930s. Somebody took an exception to me comparing uh, the Irish flag uh, to the Nazi flags, to the swastika. Um, but uh, maybe I'm the only one who felt like that, but it certainly did. There were people from outside of the area, and I'm going to play another clip off uh, the internet, Tom, uh, and this is just downright racism. Taking, they're taking statues out of the church saying they were offending other races. If you don't like our way of living, get on the bus, get on the plane, and get on the boat you got off. Ireland belongs to the Ireland. Really terrible to see those scenes uh, in Carlingford. Uh, are you concerned about uh, security at the centre, Tom? Well, first of all, I want to say that that does not represent Carlingford people. Carlingford people um, have genuine concerns, and those genuine concerns are getting wrapped up with the likes of that agenda, and that has nothing to do with Carlingford people. Um, the, 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 no, I'm not concerned, because unfortunately we have... Uh, well, I am concerned, but... Um, we, we have asked the department, unfortunately, to find alternative accommodation for these men. Uh, we've asked them to spread them out so that there's not such large groups. And we're working with the department at the minute to try and find them different accommodation. The men themselves want different accommodation. They don't want to be involved with the likes of that comment. They don't want to be involved with any of these uh, racist attacks. So they're, they're proactively trying to find and smaller accommodation. The, the department unfortunately got this wrong. They, they dropped 40 men into a, a small community and it didn't work. Um, and so that's, that's what we're trying to, um, that's what we're trying to resolve now at the minute. So we, we have um, contacted the department explaining this is unfortunately become um, an unsafe environment for these men. And that's, that's our priority at the minute. Uh, but no, I don't feel that the local community are, are racist towards these people. I think they've been caught in a national um, social media craze going on at the moment. OK, Tom, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, perhaps we'll come back to it uh, in the coming days. I hope there's no reason uh, for doing that, that there's no need to do it. Uh, but thank you for speaking to us uh, this morning. Tom McCardle of uh, the Carlingford Adventure Centre. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the policy to criminalise people who use uh, drugs has failed nationally and internationally. In fact, the resources of uh, the state are wasted on trying uh, to police all of this. This is according to a uh, motion from uh, the Labour Party, which uh, the Dáil will debate on Wednesday. And let's speak uh, to the sponsor of uh, this motion, Aon O'Reardon TD. And uh, a very good morning to you. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, 
your motion is pretty complicated in that uh, there's many strands to it. You call for a citizens' assembly to take a look at the policies overall, but you also look at measures uh, to tackle drug gangs, uh, supervised injection facilities, addiction services, funding for drug and alcohol task force. Uh, but you're calling for the decriminalisation of using drugs generally and you go a step further with cannabis because you ask the doll to consider whether legalising possession of cannabis uh, should be introduced. Well, essentially what we want to do, and thanks for having, having me on, is, is to discuss the decriminalisation of the drug user because um, our approach here to 4 hasn't worked. We won the highest overdose rates in Europe. Drugs are everywhere. They're in every town, city and location. Every age group, every socioeconomic background is taking drugs illegally, harmfully. Um, and what we are proposing is to do what they did in Portugal 20 years ago, which is to decriminalise the use of drugs. Not the trade, not the selling, not the dealing, uh, but the use. Because if you're in addiction or have a drug use issue, uh, dealing with the guards or dealing with the court service or dealing with the, Christian, uh, the criminal justice system isn't working for you. It doesn't work for anybody and it's failing. Mm. So what they did in Portugal was to decriminalise the um, the use of drugs uh, for personal use. Um, and what they've seen in 20 years is that the reduction in the number of people who are on drug dependency programmes or, or drug support programmes has gone down by 50%. Uh, but crucially, the number of people who have um, overdosed fatally has gone down by 75%. Okay. So what we want to do is to save lives. Uh, we want to help people who are in addiction. Mm. Uh, we don't believe that giving people a criminal sanction because they have a drug use issue is the way forward. Uh, and if we did that, we would free up a huge amount of resources for the guards who could tackle the gangs and not spending their time tackling their victims. There are people in the courts for the, for the possession of cannabis that's worth of €2, Euro, €4, Euro, it's just a waste of time and it isn't working. Is there less drugs in Portugal because it's being No, done? and we can't pretend that that's going to achieve that. I'm so, not so, going to so, oversell but it. How, how do you get that result, though, that uh, there's well, fewer people overdosing? Uh, around? What happens is that there's an intervention which is compassionate and health-based, right, okay, not an intervention right. which is based around the law and criminalisation. Because, look, mm. if there's somebody in your own family with a, with a drug issue, would you call the guards? Or would you call a counsellor, a nurse, a doctor. Mm. And this has to come down to what you actually would actually do to somebody in your own family. Who sells them and the drugs in Portugal, though? Surely it's still the gangs. Well, yeah, but the thing mm. is that, that the intervention is one that is that is, uh, that is is more compassionate, that is mm. based around health. And the the authorities in Portugal, they can then crack down on the gangs mm. uh, and those who are selling uh, the material. But of course, there's some of the, the stuff is overlapping. You, you get a drug abuse issue, uh, because you don't get enough support, you, you feel your only mechanism is to dive deeper into that world. You begin to finance your drug issue through selling uh, because you didn't get that crucial intervention at the earliest stage. So what we're saying here is that um, our, our, our approach here to four hasn't worked. There's a huge amount of inequality yeah. in this because those who end up in addiction often come from more disadvantaged backgrounds. They have a lot of trauma in their lives. Mm. They're disproportionately people uh, who already have disconnections from mainstream society. So criminalising mm. uh, their own attempts to ease that pain through drug use 
uh, it just doesn't work. And if you and, end up uh, selling we it... To, we have to, you know, accept that. If you end up selling it, it's probably because your habit has grown and your habit has become more expensive. And you Yeah, and you what's happened then is that mm. there's a huge amount of things that happen in society that we don't talk about. Drug debt, mm. people are getting 500,000, 1,500, uh, you know, uh, drug debt or drug taxes that sometimes cause local areas on their heads. You know, there's threats, threats being made to, to families who never believed that they were involved in this, and their families, their members were involved in this. There's a huge amount of stigma attached to it. The, the mm. families don't feel they can talk about it because they're accused of being poor parents if their if their child gets a gets a drug addiction issue or mm. drug use issue. But to be honest, there's addiction in every single family in Ireland. Mm, I was watching something. I was watching something yeah. recently though, uh, because drugs shouldn't be that expensive. Uh, and uh, the, whatever amount of cocaine it was in Colombia was worth 700 euro there uh, and the same amount 10,000 here uh, uh, surely the solution is get rid of the gangs uh, and well, there's intervention at view. every level that's our view I mean look when they when alcohol was banned in the states in the, in the 1920s all it did was was to uh, you know give the power to the mafia who then you know was able to trade in uh, in alcohol mm. and that's what that's that's what began uh, that crime wave in the states in Ireland uh, prohibition hasn't worked either it's it's basically just produced a lot of gangs making a lot of money and, and wielding a lot of power. But look, we, we want to focus in on the person who needs this intervention most. That is yeah. the, the drug user, the person in addiction. If we humanize that person more, because that person is often called names mm. in media, in, in the doll, we had a backbench Finnegale TD using a, a derogatory term about, um, uh, about drug users. That person is still uh, the education committee's uh, chairperson, you don't get sanctions in Irish society if you use a derogatory term about somebody who takes drugs or in drug mm. addiction. It doesn't happen in any other regular cohort. I think it's a long time since I saw one of these uh, surveys of the toilets in uh, Leinster House, uh, but there's always uh, bits of cocaine knocking about. Well, there's it, cocaine everywhere. Yeah, I mean, if I put my, ha- my hand yeah. on, a, on a handle of a drawer, I'm quite yeah. sure somebody yeah. who's used cocaine has also used that handle. But look, there's a huge amount of hypocrisy there's drug taking in every walk of life, in every profession, in every age group, in every part of the country. Mm. Uh, and if we just keep lying about it, well, then people are still going to die. So I think if we're more honest about it, accept that we have a drug use issue, allow people to come forward and tell their stories without fear of criminalization, which is what we would hope for to happen in our own families, mm. then I think we might get somewhere. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Your motion will be debated on Wednesday, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Labour Party TD, Aon O'Reardon. Michael Reed on LMFM. Father Peter McVerry joins us now. Good morning, Peter. Thanks uh, for taking the time to be with us on the programme. We're going to talk about the Raise the Roof rally, or uh, more importantly, the uh, reasons why so many people protested over the weekend. But you were also speaking about the uh, racism that's coming into Irish society uh, uh, over the weekend yourself. Uh, and uh, we've had a, a protest in Carlingford uh, because of a, a group of refugees uh, who are being accommodated. There are a lot of people from outside of the area um, waving Irish flags and talking about patriotism and Ireland for the Irish and all this sort of stuff. Uh, I'll just read one comment to you. There are, lines are being flooded. Uh, I hope you don't mind me uh, starting with this issue, but uh, people are so... 
uh, animated uh, and her so vocal on this uh, I just thought it'd be interesting because I think this comment probably sums up what a lot of people are saying and they don't like the idea that uh, people should be uh, offered sanctuary and refuge in this country. Somebody says I'm from the local community I believe the majority of the concerns are due to a lack of communication from all of the decision makers involved. I don't understand why there's such a push to house and help people from outside of the country when there's thousands, hundreds if not thousands of Irish homeless people that need accommodation. We need to be in a position to help people, but not at the detriment of our citizens. I think that's exactly what you were worried about, that people would start pitting those looking for refuge against Irish homeless people. Yes, that's a, that's a sentiment that has always been there, in fact. But it's growing now because the crisis is getting worse. Uh, so I think it's, and it's something that uh, several far-right parties which are very small at the moment, uh, but they are exploiting uh, uh, this this sentiment. Mm. I mean, my rea- my answer is that the people who are com- many of the people who are coming here, the Ukrainians and many others, mm. have suffered terribly uh, and are fleeing the fear of death, persecution, or appalling uh, circumstances in their own home country. They have suffered far more than any Irish homeless person or any other Irish person, and I think uh, we, we. I think it's a great tribute to us that we are willing uh, to offer them sanctuary and to offer them safety. Uh, the problem is we're not doing enough to uh, to 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 accommodate them and to provide them with the the services which they require, and that's where the anger is coming from. Uh, people feel they're taking our accommodation. They're, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're, our, our, our medical services are being overwhelmed. Our schools are being overwhelmed. Mm. That's the that's the issue we have to address. Not uh, keeping people outside. The, not keeping people from coming into the country. Yeah, it's facilitating them, accommodating them uh, and uh, not confusing uh, the issue. Uh, the homeless figures were published on Friday. And it wasn't a surprise, uh, but a record number of people homeless and around three and a half thousand children uh, who will be in emergency accommodation this Christmas. Yeah, and that's a scandal. And we know what to do. That's that's what makes me so angry. During COVID, there was a ban on evictions from the private rented sector. The number of homeless people dropped over a short period of time, dropped by almost a thousand now, we've reintroduced the ban, but only until the end of March. And then the problem is just going to resurface again. We can, let's extend the ban on evictions for maybe two or three years and deal with whatever legal problems uh, that, uh, that, that addresses. The other issue that during COVID was Airbnbs. There are over 25,500 Airbnbs advertised in this country. Many of them do are not registered as required, and those that do require planning permission, many of them don't have planning permission, mm. and there's nobody following up on that. It should be illegal. Many, during COVID, many of those Airbnbs came back into use because there were no tourists coming to <laughs> to rent them. Mm. It should be illegal to advertise an Airbnb if you are not registered or where appropriate, do not have the planning permission. And it should be illegal for the Airbnb platform to accept such an advertisement. That would bring, I would reckon, 
10,000 units back into residential use overnight. There are things we can do, uh, but we're not doing them. Waterford Local Authority brought 41 properties back into use under the repair and lease scheme. 16 other local authorities brought one property back into use, or some of them no properties back into use. Mm. I mean, that's disgrace. If every local authority emulated Waterford, we could bring back at least 1,200 properties back into use. Yeah. We know what to do, but we're not doing it. Yeah, and the Raise the Roof campaign, driven predominantly by the trade unions, uh, of course, uh, all of the opposition parties are, are part of uh, the campaign and many civic groups and people like yourself. Uh, but the point that was made many times over the weekend, how difficult working people are finding it to exist and cover the cost of accommodation, whether it's to pay a mortgage or to afford to rent in this country, does it have to be that expensive? We've allowed it to become that expensive because we have uh, pandered to the private to the private sector. Uh, you know, we could reduce the cost of housing by uh, by at least a third if the government introduced the Kenny report. Now, I won't go into the details of the mm. Kenny report, but. It, it could a house that now costs three hundred thousand could cost two hundred thousand if the Kenny report was introduced. That report recommended control of the price of bill of land uh, that was suitable for building. Uh, so there is no reason why house prices should be so high. There is no reason why rental properties should be so high. You know, it's almost impossible now for anybody on a low income to get to get a rental property. The rental property is dead mm. for those on low incomes. Mm. The government's fear is that if they interfere with the, the market rent, uh, that will drive landlords out of business. Well, I say let them go. Let them go. It won't drive the landlords who are, pay, who are charging exorbitant rents. It won't drive them out of business because they're doing very well. Here's your coat. What's the hurry, as they used to say? Uh, did you see uh, the Minister, Dara O'Brien, over the weekend saying that he'd pay down the debt on local authority land yes. uh, if county councils uh, use that land to, to develop housing, modular housing? And he, he figured that that could result in three to 5,000 homes for people. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. I told the minister that yeah, months ago. <laughs> minister ordered 500. I told him he should order 5,000. He's done it. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could have 5,000 units, uh, modular units in place uh, uh, by the end of next year if we, if, we, if we wish to do that. And modular units are relatively cheap. They're quick to build. Uh, and the benefit of them is they can be moved again if you want to build standard houses on that site. You can move the modular units somewhere else. Mm, And 5,000 houses is a lot of houses. Uh, That would house five to 20,000 people, wouldn't it? Could do, yeah. And it could be a mixed tenure. It doesn't have to be all poor people. (laughs) You know, you could have Mm. some social housing, you could have some affordable housing, you could have some for students, you could have some for elderly people. Mm. You could have mixed tenure in those those sites with the modular units. And I've seen the modular units. They're extraordinarily good standard. Highest insulation standards Mm. uh, and very, very, uh, very, very attractive. Yeah, local TD, Peter Fitzpatrick was saying there's a 
site ready to go. He's trying to get the minister up there this week, uh, I think. Uh, and he was raving about the modular homes. I, I said to him when he was on the programme with us this week that that would be music to the ears of uh, Peter McVerry because you've always uh, thought that they were very appropriate for housing people. Absolutely. They're much better than much of the private yeah. rented accommodation that people are in at the moment. Mm. Much, much better. Uh, uh, and you know, uh, as he said, it gives the opportunity too of having a front and a back garden. Yeah, they're they're terrific. They're mm. terrific, yeah. and they have a lifespan of sixty years. They're not the old uh, sort of temporary uh, build that uh, we, we used to associate with modular units. These have a lifespan of sixty years, mm. which is more than the Ballymun flat stood up for. <laughs> so they're they're in modern day terms, they're permanent. Okay, it was a, an amazing turnout uh, for the rally on uh, Saturday. Uh, will it have any real impact? I think the housing crisis is worrying the current uh, the current uh, parties, political parties in power. Uh, will the rally itself have any impact? I think it will because the rally was a, a rally of all sorts of groups and all from different social groups. You have people. Uh, you had people who still in good jobs who are still living at home with their parents involuntarily because mm. they cannot move out. You had students, you had workers who can't find accommodation uh, at a suitable uh, price. You have homeless people, you have people on the social housing waiting list who have been waiting 15 years mm. to get a home. It's a whole range of people uh, protesting and they come from all social groups. And that, I think, will worry uh, the government. They wouldn't worry if all those protesters were poor people mm-hmm. uh, but uh, who, who may not vote, but they are people who are very, very... Many of them are people who are very, very likely to vote, and that will worry the government, yes. OK. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning, Father Peter McVerry. Uh, much appreciated, as always. An awful lot of people in touch with us uh, about uh, the situation in Carlingford. And we're not going to get to all of the comments, uh, but uh, there are people saying, I'm from Carlingford, I'm a concerned parent. Uh, I know uh, that somebody was in touch saying, uh, I'm concerned uh, about security in the village and I'm concerned uh, for my own safety as a woman uh, in the village. Uh, I think that these are probably genuine concerns that we're hearing from people uh, and understandable. And I think that's why Tom McCardle was saying, uh, that these men don't pose a threat. Uh, and maybe the thing is to get to know them. Maybe um, there should be a meet and greet and maybe that would be the best thing for people in Carlingford. That's certainly the way I'd feel. Uh, I, I can imagine um, that I might have those concerns myself. Uh, but I think quite often when you meet people, you break down those barriers. Uh, but there is this racist, fascist element that's driving this as well on the internet. Um, and that's what we saw the tricolour being used in the most despicable of ways as a symbol of hate and intimidation and for the people who were inside that refugee centre as now the Carlingford uh, Centre is the Adventure Centre is now a refugee centre uh, I, I can't imagine the way they saw that flag uh, our flag, our national flag uh, Betty Daly, we heard some of those racist comments, Betty Daly uh, texted us after uh, those comments saying about those people objecting, uh, when we were a very poor country, we'd share whatever we had. Uh, and there's some young people now who wouldn't even share a box of sweets because they own them. Uh, the woman uh, who we heard in those clips uh, sounded uh, like 
She says a shower of carrots. I'm not sure if she means that or a shower of cards, uh, but uh, I think the point is probably the same, uh, but I'm not uh, familiar with the phrase. Thanks very much indeed, Betty Daly. Uh, and thank you to everybody who's been in touch with us so far today. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the cost of drinks is set to increase for a can or a bottle. Uh, you're going to pay 15 cent more for a can or a bottle. Uh, that's for a small bottle, let's say. Or, or for a larger bottle, you're going to pay 25 cent extra. But the thing is, it's a deposit. And if you return the bottle or the can, you'll get the 15 cent or the 25 cent back. It's to encourage recycling in uh, this country. Vincent Jennings is uh, the CEO of the Convenience Stores and Newspapers Association. Vincent, good morning to you and thank you for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. The government has today asked uh, people like yourself uh, to apply for this scheme. What are your thoughts on it? Good morning, Michael, uh, and good morning to your listeners. Well, well look, I mean, this, has, this isn't just launched today, um, and it's not happening today. Uh, it's it, the announcement of the scheme, which will be not taking place until February 2024 uh, at earliest. So I suppose it's right for the Minister to, to tease, tee things up that, that this is going to happen. But there's an awful lot of work, and I mean an enormous amount of work, logistically, uh, administratively, from a building a computerized uh, network um and don't forget even even with that i mean we need to make sure that and I'm, i know i'm speaking to somebody within the loudmeath area uh, we got to make sure that it is because unfortunately the north of ireland government chose not to come in on board with it we've got to make sure that it's only the products that are sold in the republic of ireland uh, and for which the deposit has been taken uh, that actually end up being returned and a deposit returned because otherwise you have um a potential for massive fraud. God, so that sounds all impossible. Of those things, all of those... <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it will be done. I mean, it's mm. done in other countries. I yeah. mean, you know, Germany has a, a DRS scheme. Oh, plenty of countries, and yeah. And, mm. and, yeah, mm. and so, I mean, but, but it's got to be built into it. There's got to be a wash-through period because there's a special logo will go on to all the labels and stickers in a place that can be read. Um, but from, from... I mean, you're making contact with me as a representative for the convenience yeah. and, and, and mm. news agent and forecourt sector. We've got to make sure that we don't give a competitive advantage to the larger supermarkets which will have very expensive uh, reverse vending machines mm. and uh, they will only be in about 12 to 13 percent of all outlets well i was going to ask so, you what it'll yeah, cost yeah. you or, or or will you be able to uh, afford well, the, the cost I mean, it, uh, yeah, well i mean at this point in mm. time i mean i can tell you michael i can absolutely assure you that there would be nobody nobody who would be placing an order within our sector for a reverse vending machine because you know they are incredibly expensive right well what uh, will happen then if i come into a, a news agent let's say with a, yeah. a a plastic bottle, you can give me back me 15 cent or, or whatever it is, uh, but if I come sure. in with a, a supermarket trolley full of them, as you see, there in a lot are. of countries, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, we see, well, and, and, and there is provision for that in other countries as well, mm. but I mean we've got, we've, we've got a very, very sophisticated and great group of people who, who, who sell these products, not just in our types of sectors, but also in fast food outlets and others. They've got to be, it's got to be very clear that 
they if they've charged the deposit there they they would be obliged to 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 pay back but what that product happens you can't crush it or anything like that they've got to be returned in and behind the counter mm. we will have a plastic bag and they will be collected on a yet to be decided rate, rate maybe on a daily basis mm. or twice a week or whatever well however busy you are and then they will be counted collated and re- and and the money's returned to you by way of the deposit and will you be paid is the plan to pay you it is yeah. It is, it okay. Is. Um, but I mean, whether you're properly remunerated and fully remunerated for the amount of work that you do, there is also another matter, and I'm not trying to be, but we, we I've already mentioned that we are incredibly power, proud of our mm. businesses. We don't particularly want to bring back used and soiled bottles into our shop. It's a different thing altogether, put them through a machine. Mm. Inside in our shop, behind our counters, uh, environmental health officers may well take and may, may be obliged to take... Well, the wasps might be delighted to uh, have uh, <laughs> Coke and 7-Up and whatever in uh, cans yeah. uh, so, so, in I mean, September. The, the wasps will be just, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we, we just can't... We can't take this for granted that it's... A, it's, it's a, yeah, absolutely, it's a great idea. And most certainly we want to be part of and will not in any way stand in the way. So I wouldn't want anybody to think, Michael, mm. that CSNA or any of our members are prevaricating or otherwise but there's a lot of work yet to be done but it, surely it means surely it means we're all going to pay for this if you end up being paid to do it so let's say it's 15 cents no, it's, it's a producer-led initiative so it's the bottlers it's the people who are actually mm. producing the product yeah putting it on to, but when you say you're making but surely they're going to pass that on are they not you see there's there's a different matter altogether mm. and of course they're not charities and and at some point or other uh, it's going to be built in but of course it's only a fraction of the because the deposit does get returned to you so it's not costing you as long as you pay mm. the deposit you'll get the entire thing back you're not you're not paying us out of it so don't worry about that in, in from the deposit no but let's thing. say let's say but it's a let's say it's a bo- let's say it's a bottle of water for a euro and now it's a euro 15 cent uh, will it not be a, a euro 20 cent and i get 15 cent back i'm not going to end up paying for the recycling anyway well, that's built into their costs. And of course, they're not going to, they're not charities. I mean, mm. at some point or other, they are going to look at their costs and make sure that they can make a profit so that they can pay their shareholders and continue in existence. So, but it is, I mean, we are talking about literally hundreds of millions of units. You know, yeah. in Ireland, it's probably over a billion. So it does, I mean, the entire scheme does work out into being pennies per bottle. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be an incredibly, even even mm. if they do take all of their costs. Uh, the incidentally, bottle. I think we consume 1.9 billion uh, drinks yeah. in bottles and cans on a yearly yeah. basis, Vincent. I have to leave it there, yeah. though. Thank you for joining us this morning. Vincent Jennings is the CEO of the Convenience Stores and Newspapers Association. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.